Hello, thanks for listening to the Bend ICOC podcast, uh, specifically this series as we move through the book of Acts. It's very applicable to our new mission team, Planting. I'm giving a brief intro for Acts chapter 6 because on Sunday our recording began a little bit late and we don't want to enter on a confusing note. So explaining how we got from A to B. To start off, let's read the first six verses of Acts chapter 6. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They presented the men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. You know, the church at this time, back in Acts chapter 4, it said that they sold their possessions, they sold houses, laid it at the apostles' feet, they shared it with one another so that nobody was without need. It, it didn't say nobody was without want, but nobody was without need. It was a very content church. In Acts chapter 6, the, the Hellenistic Jews, those Jews being of Greek culture and language, perhaps more liberal than the Hebraic Jews, who would be speaking Aramaic, who would be from Palestine, who would be more conservative in nature, they present a need. Uh, the NIV says a, a complaint arose among them. But was this complaint a sin, or were they just presenting a legitimate need? There's no rebuke from the apostles. There's no correction for the sin. Uh, that word for the complaint, other translations say a murmuring, to grumble, rumblings of discontent, even a quarrel, some translation. You know, in a modern day, this is who's paying the rent, who's Venmoing who, hey, you owe me some money. But again, there's no reaction in dealing with the sin. It seems they're just presenting a need. They're stating a fact, and the apostles react accordingly. Actually, the, the seven men who they appoint, these righteous men to take care of the widows, all seven of those names are Hellenistic names. There's a lot of wisdom in that. Uh, not fixing somebody's problem for them, not jumping in and being the hero, but empowering them giving them the dignity and the buy-in to fix it themselves. I think the apostles empowered them, gave them the resources so that they could be about their purpose so that they can meet one another's needs. This wasn't, uh, this wasn't delegation like some of us like to do today of, hey, I really need you to run this pointless errand and anybody can do it and it's grunt work, uh, so please do it. Nobody feels empowered by that. Nobody feels like that role is important. But every role in the church is important. Every act of service is needed to build up the body. From setting up the chairs to running the AV equipment, every role is important. It's interesting that this dispute arose, and it's really related to all the other disputes that have already come up in the church. At first, it's Peter addressing that Judas sold them out and rebelled for 30 pieces of silver in Acts chapter 1. And then in Acts chapter 5, there's an act of hypocrisy when Ananias and Sapphira, they give into deceit, pride, discord perhaps, and they, they withhold some of their money. They're struck down for that. 
Now in Acts chapter 6, again, it's an issue of money, it's an issue of the distribution of food, and that needs to be addressed in the church. It seems that these new Christian widows were no longer cared for by the Jewish temple or the Jewish leaders. They were left to the New Testament church to take care of their needs. The great success in this act of delegation in solving this conflict, one, is that the church didn't split in two, but also that the apostles were not distracted from their purpose. The church was not distracted from its mission. It, it didn't cease all attempts of furthering the gospel in order to meet the needs of the people within the church. They accomplished both at the same time. It wasn't either or, it was both and. You know, many times in our lives, we're going to be faced with what's urgent versus what's important. Seemingly urgent things can come up all the time. Uh, distractions like, I need to get the oil changed. I need to do some homework this evening. These things will always come up, but we always have to remember what's important. Advancing the gospel, being about our purpose. The apostles remembered what was important while also meeting the urgent need. What in your life seems urgent today? What's more urgent than furthering the gospel? Are you choosing what's important or what seems urgent today? These seven men who are chosen in Acts chapter 6, they're some of the first deacons in the early church. And a deacon, that's just the Greek word for servant. They're not more important than an elder, not more important than a regular member in the church. They are called to serve. Acts chapter 6 is a descriptive account of, of choosing these deacons, choosing this leadership. Seems like it's a better process of choosing than casting lots like they did in Acts chapter 1. But the people choose the deacons and then the apostles approve of the choice. What Acts chapter 6 doesn't tell us is how to deal with people in the church who may be idle. How to deal with people in the church if they should be a deacon and if they should be a widow. What are the qualifications for that? How would you treat somebody if they are in total need and dependency on the church like a widow would be? And how do you treat somebody if they're able to work but are just idle and refusing to work? And how should you select a deacon to meet the needs of those two people? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6-7 and verses 14-15, through 15, we get very prescriptive language about warning the idle strongly. Warning people not to be idle, making sure they're not disruptive, even keeping away from them if they refuse to change their ways. It seems that the Hellenistic Jews in Acts chapter 6 were not idle because they were not treated in this way. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 verses 3 through 16, we get a description of who qualifies to be a widow in the church. And these are women who are over 60, who have remained faithful to the Lord, who are still serving Him in prayer, or even washing the feet of the disciples. They're still doing what they can to live out their purpose. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8-13, through 13, we get the further qualifications for a deacon. Men who manage their households well, men who are faithful, men who are spiritual. So we get these descriptions and, and now prescriptions, these commands on how to take care or serve in the roles of being a deacon, a widow, and how to take care or perhaps speak to those who are idle in the church. So now we can turn back to Acts chapter 6 and, and think, okay, what's going on? If they were idle, if these people were, were sitting around and just saying, hey, take care of us, then they would have dealt with it as it described in 2 Thessalonians, how to take care of people who are idle, to warn them very strongly. 
But then we read there in 1 Timothy chapter 5 for a widow. These are actually people who are very responsible, who are praying to the Lord day and night, who are perhaps even washing the disciples' feet. You know, there are people who, as Justin said, perhaps can't take care of their own needs, but they still are pursuing righteousness. They still are doing what they can. Perhaps they don't have the finances, but hey, I can wash feet. I can still be faithful to God. I can serve in some way. So the church in Acts chapter 6 was not a group of people who were running around and meeting everyone's needs and another group of people who were uncommitted and not doing anything. The church in Acts chapter 6 was a group of widows, deacons, disciples, none of them more important than the other, and all of them willing to serve one another. It's a beautiful thing that the deacons were there to help serve and meet the needs of the widows. All right, uh, in, let's turn back to Acts chapter 6, and I, I better let Madison get in here, because we've got a lot more to read. We're actually covering Acts chapter 6 and 7 today. We're about to be introduced to a great deacon in the church. But in verse 5, I just wanted to note, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And because it pleased the whole group, down there in verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed, laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. I think it's when we're united, as they were in Acts chapter 4, and it says their numbers increased rapidly, nobody was without need. When we're united and when we're content, when we're grateful, when our needs are being met, we want to pay that forward. We want to continue to serve the Lord. We want to go to what's important rather than what's urgent. The issue in Acts chapter 6 threatened to derail everything the church was doing if the apostles said okay let's drop evangelism and let's ourselves start to take care of these widows then the church would have given over to the tyranny of the urgent there's always something that's seemingly urgent right always something throughout the day for myself just a few examples i remember um what was urgent and what was important back when i was a college student I wanted to evangelize and baptize other students, uh, but I'd gone into college with a lot of college credits that I had taken out of my high school education. And, and so I realized if I went part-time for two terms in college, then I could have more time to evangelize, more time to help with the ministry, and I would still finish on time because I was so far ahead. It seemed very urgent to me to finish my degree as soon as possible, but I was the only student on campus. And so for me personally, I decided it was more important to go part-time, more important to do that so that I could serve in the ministry, so that I could help baptize other students, because I wasn't going to be on that campus forever. forever. And a year later, I, I really wanted to date this girl, um, Madison, Madison Hackett at the time. <laughs> it seemed very urgent to me to start dating her, especially when she was called to go on a mission team to Los Angeles. Uh, we even had mutual feelings for each other. Everyone, everyone, worldly friends, even, even uh, people in the church said, oh, you guys should totally just get together. Just don't let her leave. <laughs> but what was urgent and what was important? I said, you know, as urgently as we want to start dating, as urgently as I might want to say, hey, no, don't go. Stay here with me. I said, no, it's more important for her to go on this mission team because Madison felt called by God to go and serve in Los Angeles. Thankfully, she came back four or five months later 
Again, because we were wanting to put what was important first and not let what was seemingly urgent rule our lives. Not to get distracted. All right, Madison's going to come up. And she's going to pick up in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And then I'm going to return when we're done there. You want to come up here, sweetie? Yeah, yeah please. Thank you, thank you. Um, so when we were talking about the Acts series, I really wanted to share about Stephen because I've always been really, really inspired by his story. So uh, first I just want to share about, okay, so, you know, we see the need and they see, we see that they chose Stephen. Um, he was the first of them and it says, I kind of want just to share what he's described as first. Um, so it says he was a man, uh, in chapter 6, verse 5, uh, he was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. which is two things. I'm like, okay, this, those two things alone is amazing. I wish that was like my reputation. Oh, full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Um, and then we'll keep, I'll read uh, verse 8 through 15. I'll, I'll uh, finish it out and then talk, we'll see a little bit of more things about Stephen as we read this. In verse 8, I read uh, from the ESV. I hope that's okay. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, Um, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Um, so, you know, like I said before, it says he was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Now we see, you know, he's full of grace, full of power, it says. Um, he's full of wisdom. Like, these are incredible, incredible reputation to have for anybody. But this is just one man. Um, and we see how God uses him through this. And... We see how people are really upset about him. Um, But like Joey said, he was chosen for this mighty task to serve in this way. And um, something I just, I was reflecting on this yesterday a lot, but, you know, just because his role was different from the apostle's role. um, uh, Where was it? Oh, sorry. Oh, that didn't keep him from deeply knowing and preaching God's word. Um, So we see, you know, he's doing this role as a servant, serving widows and doing all these things. Um, But he was known for doing great wonders and signs among the people and full of grace and power and the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Like he wasn't just, you know, quietly doing his thing and um, not speaking about Jesus just because he wasn't an apostle. Like he still had this calling to preach the word to the people around him. And I thought that's amazing. Um, And, you know, just made me think that we all we know that we all make up different parts of the body within Christ's church. But every one of us is charged to preach about Jesus, you know, to preach about him crucified, about the gospel, the euangelion of a new king and a new kingdom here on earth. Just because we serve in different roles within the church, every one of us is called to share about Jesus and what he did and what he did in our life. 
Um, and we see Stephen did that, and we see that people were really upset about that. Um, and I was always really amazed with this next part. We're going to read chapter 7, but we'll, um, I'll break it up into different readers if that's okay, because it's a long one. And he basically summarizes the history of the Old Testament, so, um, which is incredible that he, if this is his speech. Yeah. He's not reading from a scroll or something. Like They're questioning him, and he's like, well... I know you're familiar with the history, so I'm just going to summarize some really important things to you, but he just does this from memory, and I don't know if I could, I don't think I could do it the way that he does this. I really don't. So I'm amazed with that alone. But something to note before we read it is um, that Stephen summarizes the Old Testament history, and he's speaking to these Jews, right, to the Sanhedrin, it says. Um, so they're already familiar with the Old Testament. It's not like this is new information to them. Um... But he does it to make specific points from this. And I just want us to know this before we read it. So the first point that he really hones in on is that God never confines himself to one place. For example, the temple. God never confines himself to one place. And number two, that Jews had a habit of rejecting the people that God sends to them. And we're going to look at all the different people that God sent to the Jews and they rejected from Abraham all the way to Jesus. Um, and just as we read through this, to kind of look for this theme that really stood out to me, which was God's continual story of faithfulness to his people and how he allows them to endure trials to bring about his glory. We see these yeah. guys, they go through a lot of stuff. And I just want us to really think about that. Like this is God's story of faithfulness to his people, but he allows them to endure trials to bring about God's glory. Whew, so this was one guy's speech and his memory of the Old Testament. So we cover Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, Solomon, and Jesus. This is a lot of ground to cover. But Stephen knew his Bible really well. He was a servant of the people, but he knew the scriptures well. Um, and so the thing that I just I wanted to share with you guys that really stood out to me from this was seeing how you know, God calls these people into different areas of wilderness, specifically starting with Abraham. You know, he calls him away from his family, away from his homeland, into the wilderness with this promise that there's something good that's going to come out of this. And, you know, just, I'm sad Hannah's not here. I was texting her this morning because it reminds me of the Princess Bride a little bit. Yes. When, um, I'll yes. take it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, when they go into, has anybody not seen the Princess Bride? Okay, okay, good, good, good. So, it's a great movie, but you... Yeah, spoilers, sorry. They go into... They're trying to escape from the sky, and they go into this place called the Fire Swamp, which has, like, these bursts of flame, and it has um, this thing called lightning sand, which is, like, quicksand, but lightning, like, super fast. And then they have these basically big rats that they call rodents of unusual size, and they literally call them R-O-U-S's, which is really silly, but it's great. Um, and, you know, they, they enter this hoping, this hope, like, there's something better on the other side, where, like, we, they kept this hope. And if you know the movie, you know, like, Wesley's confidence in the movie is just like, oh my gosh. Like, he's just like, you're the woman, this, like, I love, this is going to be great, we're going to get through it. And he's just constantly confident. Um, and they hope that something's better on the other side. Unfortunately, Prince Humperdinck is on the other side, and they go through all these other trials before they get to be, you know, happily ever after. But, you know, they keep their, their hope and their confidence through it, especially Wesley. And um, so it just reminded me of that because I think we've all 
left homes and families to be here. Everyone in this room, you know, has moved here. And, you know, God has brought us into kind of a place of braving the wilderness here. Nothing's really familiar to any of us here. And we're building. Um, but just some questions that I was thinking of was, uh, you know, how has your faith been here in, in the wilderness? How's your faith been? Um, your confidence in God's promises. And we talked about this at, at midweek on Wednesday night, but what's shaken your faith lately? What's shaken your faith? And are there any rodents of fear? Mm. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, yeah. Are there any rodents of fear that you've let come in and start basically gnawing at your faith? You know, like what's come, what, what have you allowed in that has started kind of just chipping away at your faith? Good question. Um, and so I just, I want to encourage us from this scripture as we read about Stephen, we read about his recount, recount, uh, yes, summary of all these other powerful men who've stuck it out, who've had the faith through wilderness, um, to just, to choose faith. That's kind of been my theme lately is to choose faith. Um, don't lose that confidence like Wesley had in the midst of the trials, because pain is going to come. I think we are all familiar with pain. Pain is going to come. It's promise. And we see these guys go through pain. But just yeah. ask ourselves, you know, is the purpose of my life to bring God glory or is it to bring myself glory? Because these men were so confident that they were bringing God glory that they stuck it out and they were faithful and they kept going even when it seemed really bleak. Um, they stay faithful. So I just, I want to encourage us, and I'm preaching to myself here, really sharing to myself that, you know, just to choose faith in the times of wilderness when it feels like there's big rats and flames and <laughs> lightning sand and things like that. So yeah, thanks for letting me share. Thanks, thanks Rance. When there's rodents, yes. <laughs> Picking up from there. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate the... Stephen changed the church at that time, changed the game because he stepped out on faith, as Madison said, changed what the church would look like because he decided to proclaim the gospel, because he decided to follow in the footsteps of all those great men, Moses, Joseph, Isaac, Jacob. It didn't seem to make sense at the time at all, I'm sure, for this righteous man to go out there and be stoned to death. How could this happen? And then how could the church fall into such great persecution following? And there's quite the narrative of the church up until this time of Satan throwing things at it that can't stop it. At first it's Judas. Maybe I can get him to betray them and then they'll all give up. Doesn't stop the gospel from going forward. Then it's, uh, then it's maybe, maybe they'll wait around in Acts chapter 1. Maybe they'll just wait and not doing, do anything. No, the Holy Spirit comes, they go out and do something. Okay, maybe if we throw them in jail in Acts chapter 3 and 4. Nope, doesn't stop them. They just get out of jail. They keep proclaiming it. Well, maybe if I can get some of them to be hypocrites. Maybe if I get some discord in there. Maybe some sin. Then maybe that will stop the church from growing. Doesn't stop the church from growing. Again, in Acts chapter 6, Satan gets in there. Well, maybe if I distract them. Maybe if all of these needs come at them. Or maybe if the church even divides because of those needs. Maybe then the church won't keep proclaiming the gospel. It doesn't stop them. Stephen is stoned, and it doesn't stop them. Again, not more important than any other man, not more important than elders, deacons, apostles, but just a man. One man can make a difference. One woman can make a difference. One person can make a difference. 
Yes. I, I, I didn't read the last part about the stoning. We're going there. Spoilers. <laughs> One person can make a difference. A challenge they kept giving us at the retreat, which has been a challenge for a long time in our movement of churches, is if your church wasn't in your community, would your community even notice? Mm. This is a church that made an impact. This is a church that they notice. Stephen, this was a man who they definitely noticed, who the community definitely knew about. Mm -hmm. The stoning of Stephen, verse 54, right? When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out, to, out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Where they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Again, at the time, this death didn't make sense at all. But we get to look at the book of Acts now. We get to see the gospel going forth, not being stopped. We get to see that Stephen's death, there's a man named Saul there. And a man named Saul was later changed to become Paul to continue bringing that gospel forward. At the time when God doesn't answer some of our prayers, or we don't know why certain things happen, it's easy to not step out on faith like all those men did in Acts chapter 7, who Stephen was talking about. It's easy to give in to that. It's easy to give in to the distractions, to the urgent, but we need to follow in their footsteps. Follow in Jesus' footsteps. He had a lot of urgent things that could have kept him from going to the cross. And so again, as I started describing the urgent and the important, uh, I really just want to thank everyone here for deciding to do what's important in Bend, Oregon. For doing scary things in Bend, Oregon. For, for failing at them at first, but continuing to allow God to refine you, to refine your faith. You know, I want to say I'm really thankful. We read that description of widows. I'm thankful for the Quints choosing to move here. I have a deep respect for that. I can imagine all of the urgent things that might have been down in L.A., that might have been in the ministry that they were taking care of, the family they were taking care of down there. But choosing what's important to come up here to, to totally reinvent themselves and go into retirement and continue serving the Lord. The man hosting us today, you guys, one person can make a difference. Don't ask yourselves, yeah, the church really ought to get to it and make an impact in the community. What are you going to do to make an impact in the community? What Stephen did changed the community and changed the whole church. Are you going to change the church? Will the church be different after you've done your work in Bend, Oregon? Thank you, guys.